It is so good to be here with you today. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Will, and I serve as one of the elders and pastors here at the church. And I'm excited for a few reasons. One, um, I'm excited about uh, being here at the campus. I'm also excited about uh, your campus pastor. Uh, I know that uh, you guys have had a chance to sit under his, uh, his preaching and his leadership. And I'm so grateful for Parker, uh, for uh, his gifting, and more than that, for his humility. Uh, I, I have no problem sharing uh, the pulpit and authority with Parker because of who he is, not just because of how he's gifted, but because of who he is. And so uh, you guys are truly blessed to have him as your uh, pastor and your shepherd. Uh, but I will still be here every few weeks or so, and it's ex I'm excited to be here with you uh, today. And uh, this morning, we are starting a brand new four-week sermon series entitled Family Discipleship. And what I want to do here on the front end is I want to talk to you a little bit about how we arrived um, at this series. Why are we even doing this series? Well, a few months ago, uh, we were doing a series entitled Disciple Shift. And in that series, we were essentially talking about what it would take for us as a church to move, to essentially move to become a disciple-making culture. And what was that actually going to take? And so we took four weeks and we were unpacking that. And one of the things that kept coming up as I was preparing for those sermons is I kept realizing that discipleship in the home is very different from discipleship in any other context. And so I kept wanting to talk to parents and helping them disciple their children. But I realized that it, it almost felt like a completely different series. It felt like to just add another sermon in that five week, and make it a five week series wasn't going to be adequate enough to address the subject of discipleship in the home. The other thing that I came to realize though, uh, while I was working through that uh, series, was that the reason why discipleship was so desperately needed at our church for adults is because that discipleship didn't happen when they were kids. And I realized that the reason why there were 25-year-olds and 35-year-olds and 45-year-olds that desperately needed to learn what being a disciple was is because their parents never actually taught them what being a disciple was. And so I made a decision pretty early on and said, if we don't ever get parents to live a disciple-making lifestyle in their homes, we're going to constantly be trying to fix something that should have been dealt with decades before. So that's why I feel that this series is so vital and so important. And so we're going to be talking about discipleship for the next four weeks. And so today we are starting by discussing the mindset of discipleship. What is the specific mindset uh, that, a, that a family needs in order to make disciples in their home? Then next week, we're going to talk about, if this week is the mindset of parenting, uh, next week we will talk about the mess of parenting. And what we mean by the mess is we're going to go back before we go forward, and we're going to talk about family of origin. A lot of times when you do a, a series like this on parenting, you just assume that parents are these blank slates uh, that are just parenting in a vacuum. But the reality is that the reason why we parent the way we parent is because of our parents, for good or for bad. And so we're going to go back, and we're going to look at what the Bible talks about when it comes to family of origin, when it comes to family blessings, family curses, the whole nine. And that's usually something that is not discussed when we talk about families, but I think it's a very vital component that we need to understand if we are going to be the parents that God is calling us to be. 
So week one, mindset. Week two, which is next week, is the mess. And then we will end the, the series uh, spending two weeks on the model. Like, what will we specifically do in order to make disciples in our homes? And I don't, I'm not just talking about younger kids, but I'm also talking about teenagers and young adults and then even older uh, children who are already, you know, past the young adult stage. But this morning, we are talking about the mindset of parenting. What is the needed mindset in order for us to make disciples in our home? And uh, the passage, as you can tell uh, by the, the, the bumper that played before me, uh, before I got up, is uh, Matthew chapter 28. So if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn to Matthew 28, and we are going to be looking at verses 16 through 20. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. And I would love for you to stand as I reread this passage again. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. And if you're with me, say amen. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Everyone say doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's the word of the Lord. Uh, let me pray for us. Father, as we come before you today, I thank you for the parents that are here. I thank you for the grandparents that are here. God, I thank you for the non-parents that are here. This series is for everyone, and we will be addressing that here in a, in a second. But God, I pray, uh, even as we look at this very familiar passage, but we look at it from a very unfamiliar perspective, I pray that you would allow your word to, to speak to us. I pray that it would speak through me and that it would speak to us. I pray, God, that you would be here among us. We thank you that your word is perfect, but that your messenger is imperfect. Lord, I am a man of unclean lips. And so I ask in Jesus' name and in the power of the Holy Spirit that right now, from the moment I say amen, it would no longer be me speaking, but it would be you speaking through me. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be honoring and glorifying to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Be here among us. And I pray that this message would be one that is filled with grace and not guilt. We have enough guilt and, 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 and shame and, and bitterness because of all the years of parenting. I pray, Lord, that this would not be filled with shame or guilt but that instead it would be filled with grace and hope. We ask it and we beg it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, you may be seated. All right, so this morning what we're going to do is we are going to look at Matthew 28 under three headings. We are going to begin today by looking at the purpose of parenting. And then after we look at the purpose of parenting, we are going to look at the practices of parenting and then we are going to conclude by looking at the power for parenting. But I'm letting you know right now, there's a good chance we won't get to the power. If the sermon goes the way it went last service, we probably won't get to the power. So just, it's a really great point, but you might not hear it, okay? So we're going to look at the purpose, the practices, and the power, maybe, all right? But I want to begin today by looking at the purpose of parenting. And to do that, I want to reread verse 19. In verse 19 of Matthew 28... Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now, you may not know this, but your house is included in the nations. 
your minivan, your dinner table is included under the umbrella of nations. I know you might feel that your house is a sovereign state. It is not. It is included under the umbrella of nations. So according to this passage, the purpose of parenting is to make disciples. The purpose of parenting is nothing more and nothing less than making disciples. Now, just to make sure that we all are on the same page with this, I want you to repeat that statement with me. The purpose of parenting is to make disciples. We're going to say it together. I'm not, using one of the, I'm not usually one of those, hey, repeat after me, guys. But I need to make sure that you understand the point of the message. If you forget everything else I say, this is what I need you to take away from this message. So we're going to say it together. Ready? The purpose of parenting is to make disciples. Let's try that again. The purpose of parenting is to make disciples. Nothing more and nothing less than making disciples. Uh, one author, uh, Chap Bettis, says this. He says, the foundational parenting text is not Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, or Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, but it's Matthew 28. We discipline our children not so that they will make us happy, but so they will serve Christ as adults. We educate them not so they can have a good job, but to develop them to be the best follower of Jesus they can be. We work hard to prepare them, not for graduation day, but for the judgment day. That is the purpose of parenting, making disciples. Now, here's the thing. I would argue that already some of you are very, very frustrated with me already. And I just started. And I would argue that the reason why you're frustrated with me is because you came today hoping to get this brand new, fresh insight that you had never heard before. And here I am preaching from Matthew 28, telling you that the purpose of parenting is to make disciples. But here's the thing. The reason why I can't give you a new, brand new, uh, uh, fresh insight that you've never heard before is because Jesus doesn't let me. The Bible doesn't allow me to do that. Because the Bible says that the point of parenting just like the point of your Christian life, is to make disciples. And here's the thing. As impractical as that seems, here's why I would argue it's very practical. Because many of the problems that we have as parents, and I would argue even as grandparents sometimes, is not so much because we're struggling to answer the how question, like how do I do this thing right now? Many times we know what to do. It's because we, for, we forget the why question. It's not the how question, the, like the practices of parenting we struggle with usually. It's that we forget the why question, the purpose of parenting. I would argue that if you on a daily basis remind yourself of the purpose, many of those practices would flow right from it. If you remind yourself of the why, many of the hows will answer themselves. And the reality is if we spent this whole series just talking about the hows, it would be a much longer series than four weeks because different children are in different stages and have different personalities. So I'd rather us understand the why and have the hows flow from that. We will talk about the hows and the practices, but it's important to remember the why because I think that answering the why question will go a long way in answering many of the how questions. Now, here's the thing. There are several reasons why the purpose of parenting being disciple-making is good news for you. There's, there are several reasons why this is very, very good news for us. 
The first reason why it's very good news that the purpose of parenting is to make disciples is that if that's truly the purpose of parenting, then you actually need God in your parenting. Here's what I mean. If your purpose for parenting is to raise a law-abiding citizen one day, that's a great purpose, but it ain't a biblical one. It ain't the Bible's purpose. And at some point, once they become a law-abiding citizen, right, you don't really need God anymore. The, 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 the work is done. You did your job. But, but, it, but you don't really need God to raise a law-abiding citizen. Secular, non-Christian people do it all the time. If, you're, if the purpose of parenting is to uh, raise a, a, a scholar that's going to go to a, a prestigious university, if that's your purpose of parenting, you don't need God for that. You need a teacher, some tutors, an academic advisor maybe, a good enough school. You don't really need God for that, though. If you're, the purpose of parenting is to uh, raise a, an athlete, again, nothing necessarily wrong with that, but you don't need God for that. You just need a coach, some trainers, right, and the willingness to give your weekends away. See, so, 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 so what I'm saying is this. The only purpose that you need God for is the purpose of, if it's your purpose is to make disciples. If that's not your purpose, then you don't need God. But once you make it your purpose, all of a sudden you realize, oh, dang, I need God desperately. If the Holy Spirit doesn't show up and the word of God is not present and the gospel doesn't change my child's heart, I'm in trouble. So one of the great things about having this be your purpose is that it makes you less dependent on yourself and infinitely more dependent on God. Here's another reason why I think this purpose is good news for you and for me whether we are parents or grandparents. If the purpose of parenting is to make disciples, then all of a sudden what that means is your purpose never expires. It never ends. Here's what I mean. If, if your purpose is to make, again, going back to a, a scholar or an athlete or a law-abiding citizen, at some point then your work is done. Once they get the scholarship, once they graduate, once they have the right job, once they move into the right neighborhood, you're done. Parenting is over because your purpose was to get them to this certain level. They got there and you're done. But if the purpose of parenting is to make disciples, then they need you to parent them from when they're two to 22 to 42. The work never ends because I would argue that your adult child needs you to disciple them even more than the younger one did because now they're trying to figure out life and trying to figure out what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus in this world. Another reason why this is good news, this purpose, is because all of a sudden other people can help you in your parenting. And by other people, I don't just mean tutors and academic advisors and, and coaches, but by other people, I actually mean other believers. And those people might be believers, and that's good, but, but I mean other believers. Like, you need other Christians to pour into your children then, right? And so, so, so if, when, and this is what we're going to talk about next week, if your family of origin is the primary thing that influences you as a child, I would say that right behind it, the thing that influences you second is the family of God. The family of origin and the family of God. But if we are not in the family of God and we're not coming to church and we're not in small groups and we're not doing community with anybody, then we are losing a valuable asset in the discipling of our children. 
The goal is to surround our children with godly men and women who they can look up to and say, I want to be more like that person. It's important to see that if this is the purpose, all of us get to participate. And I think this is why this series is not just for parents and for grandparents, but it's also for non-parents. Why? Because if the purpose is to make disciples, you can come alongside the families in your life, whether you are an aunt or an uncle, or whether you're single and you're volunteering here at High Point, you can come alongside the families in your life and help them in the discipling of your kids. Like, for example, one of the things that my wife and I did, I didn't even bring this up in the first service. I just thought of it now. But we had, you know, the whole godparent thing. Uh, people were like, oh, well, we don't do godparents. We don't do godparents. For, for many reasons, people don't. But one of the reasons why my wife and I adopted it is because we wanted someone else in our daughter's life that they can go to and talk to. So my sister-in-law is my daughter's godparent. And the hope is that she will have someone else to go talk to when she's struggling. So if she doesn't feel comfortable talking to us, there's another woman of God in her life that she can go and talk to and pray with and ask questions to. And so that's why I think it's important that even if you are not a parent here, you can help disciple the next generation. And one of the ways that you can do that, a very practical way you can do that, is even in serving here in High Point Kids, right? Within the second service and all the excitement around it, one of the things that we're doing is we're recruiting volunteers to step in and help disciple the next generation in High Point Kids. And if that's something that you would consider, maybe God calls you to go to the first service and serve in the second or vice versa. But we would love for you to consider serving and being a part of High Point Kids in this season. It's one of the ways that we can actively disciple the next generation. And here's the last reason why I would say this purpose is good news. Is that once you decide that disciple making is the purpose for your parenting, it becomes a lot easier to measure whether or not you are doing your job. Here's what I mean. For a lot of us, and I'm including myself, for a long time, my parenting was a hodgepodge of all these different things. I would read something in a magazine, and then I would, I, would, I, would, I would read something in a book, I would hear something in a sermon, and I would just take practices from all these other things. Like, okay, I'm going to do a little bit of this, I'm going to do a little bit of that, and I would put all these things together, and it was this very almost like schizophrenic type of parenting. The problem is with all those practices that I adopted from other places, they came with their own theology of what parenting was. So you could actually confuse your kids when you don't have a consistent purpose with practices that flow from it. Because I'm doing a little bit of law and a little bit of grace and a little bit of guilt. Right? And when you do that, it's hard to measure whether you are being faithful or not. One of the things that terrifies me as a father is looking at my daughters, one's, one's eight and one's six, and thinking, am I even doing a good job? Like, at one point, do I even figure it out? Like, is, is there a day where they just graduate and then God just gives me a, a, an A, B, C, or D, or an F? Like, how do I know if I'm doing a good job as a parent? That terrifies me. Like, I'm trying the best I can, but is, am I giving my best to the right things? Am I sacrificing the right things? Am I making the right decisions? One of the great things about choosing this purpose for your parenting is that the Bible actually gives us many lists in Scripture that help us to measure whether or not our children are growing in discipleship. The fruit of the Spirit is one. The Beatitudes is another. Second Peter chapter 1, Peter gives us another list of attributes that a disciple displays. Jesus says you will know a tree by its fruit. 
So one of the great things about choosing this biblical purpose is that all of a sudden you can use biblical measurements to see whether or not your child is growing in discipleship or not. According to Matthew 28, the purpose for every disciple of Jesus is to make disciples. That's our purpose. If you're sitting here and you are a follower of Jesus, the purpose of your life is to make disciples. Becoming a parent, though, doesn't change that. Right? I don't know why we've been taught this, but we, it's almost like, okay, as a believer, my purpose is to make disciples. And it's almost like the way, this isn't, this isn't what the passage says, praise God. But it's almost like we read this and it's like your purpose in life as a believer is to make disciples. But then there's fine print unless you become a parent. When you become a parent, you can take a break for 18 years and then come back and make disciples. No, that's not what the Bible says. In other words, when you become a parent, the commission doesn't change, it expands. Your, your, your job is to still make disciples, but it just expanded now and there's more people now. That unreached people group is in the back of your car now. Not in Papua New Guinea. They're at your dinner table now. And so I think part of the reason why when we become parents, we don't just automatically assume the purpose is disciple making. is because before we became parents, we didn't think that was the purpose of life either. If your purpose for life before you, became to, before you became a parent was to make as much money as possible or to be successful in your career, right, that why would it automatically become disciple making when you become a parent? It wouldn't. But if we understand that our calling is to make disciples, becoming a parent doesn't change that calling. It expands that calling. What we see when we make this decision that the purpose of parenting is disciple-making, we realize that on the one hand, it makes things a lot more simpler, and yet just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. <laughs> I would argue that it makes things a lot harder. Even though it's more simple, make disciples, it makes things a lot harder. But that's what we are called to do. So the first thing we see is the purpose of parenting. The, the second thing we see are the practices of parenting. And I want you to see uh, verse 18, no, verse 19 through 20, as we look at the practices. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Here's the thing. As we change our purpose from whatever it was to disciple making, once we start to have a biblical purpose, that biblical purpose starts to give us a biblical perspective of our children. It changes quite literally the filter by which we evaluate our children. This purpose changes my perspective. And now when I look at my child, my daughters, I don't see someone who just needs a great education. I don't see someone who just needs tons of affirmation. I definitely don't see someone who's the center of my universe. I see someone who is a non-Christian who needs to be evangelized and discipled for the glory of God. The purpose changes the perspective. And then once your perspective changes, then all of a sudden your practices changes, and you start to ask yourself, 
do the practices that I currently live out in my parenting line up with this biblical purpose? That's what we got to talk about. We'll talk about that more in a second. But here's the thing. I would argue that in light of the biblical purpose of making disciples, here are two practices that you and I, either whether we are parents or grandparents or non-parents, have to make sure the next generation understands. The two practices are this. We have to help them understand the message, one, and we have to help them undertake the mission, two. If our purpose is to make disciples, then our practices must be to help them understand the message, which is the gospel, and to undertake the mission, which is discipleship. Everything else becomes secondary. And by everything else, I mean everything else becomes secondary. Dr. Tony Evans puts it this way. He says, the single greatest reason, and this is in his book, Kingdom Men. He talks about why men are not who they should be in our, in our church, in our churches today. Here's what he says in that book. The single greatest reason why we are losing our young people today is that the home is no longer the place where faith is transferred. Parents, the primary purpose of the home is the evangelization and discipleship of your children. You cannot outsource this vital component in the rearing of your children. The primary purpose, he says, is to make disciples. How do we make disciples? By helping them understand the message on the one hand and undertake the mission on the other. Let's start with the first one, which is helping them understand the message. If we do not emphasize the gospel on a daily, weekly basis to our children and grandchildren, I promise you that the gospel will be forgotten. If we assume the gospel in this generation, it will be forgotten by the next generation. So, so when we approach things like, oh, well, I, 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 I'm going to just keep doing what I'm doing, my kids, my kids will know. They'll know. I don't got to say that it's the gospel motivating me. They'll figure it out. Here's what I read this week that I had never known. I think I heard it, actually. But it was so good. They said that children are really good observers, but really bad interpreters. They see everything, but understand nothing. So if we don't help them to interpret why mom and dad are doing why they're, what they're doing, they're not going to figure it out. If we don't go out of our way to remind them that we also are sinners in need of grace and we are motivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ, they won't pick it up. They're not going to read between the lines because they're really bad at reading between the lines. They're great observers and terrible interpreters. I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Every time me and my wife even have the smallest scuffle, my oldest daughter will see it and be like, are you guys going to get a divorce? No, we're not. She sees everything, understands nothing. And so if we as parents don't play the role of interpreters and help our kids see not just the how of our parenting, but the why of our parenting, they're not going to pick it up. They are not picking up what we are laying down. They're just not. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, he says that he delivered the gospel as of first importance. And the word there, first importance, doesn't just mean the first thing on a list that you just cross off and move on. No, no, it's essentially the better way to put it is something that is central. 
He delivered the gospel as the most central thing to the adult converts that he was discipling. And if that's true of adult converts, how much more true is it of our children? To make the gospel of first importance, to, to repeat it, to reiterate it, to retell it, to reapply it on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. Here's the other thing, too. Once you decide that you are going to help your child understand the gospel, whether they are 2, 12, or 22, once you make the decision that you are going to help your child understand the gospel, Satan is going to actively oppose you from that moment on. He just is. Because according to Romans, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Satan does not want your kids to know the gospel. So if what you're using right now to disciple your children is law and religion, Satan not only won't stop you, he'll encourage it. When we tell our kids, hey, don't don't do that because you don't want to be like those kids over there. You don't want to be like that cousin of yours. Right? That's not the gospel. That's religion. It's you're better than those people. Don't be like those people. When you do that, Satan not only is not opposing you, he's applauding you. Because you're using something other than the gospel to motivate your children to loving good deeds. So, so if, if, if you are sitting here today and you're thinking, man, I think like Will's really just belaboring a point. I get it. Okay, I got to make the gospel clear. I got to tell him the why and not just the how. Listen to this quote from Chet, from Chet Bettis again. He says this. He says, surprisingly, for something so important, the gospel can be easily blurred, assumed, or forgotten. As believing parents... We often assume our children understand and are being taught the gospel. And so we wrongly think we can concentrate on other things in their development. In fact, though, the gospel is being assumed. And then Dr. D.A. Carson says this. When we assume the gospel, we are one generation away from denying it. Don't, just like I don't assume the gospel when I'm preaching, And I make it explicitly clear every week because we are prone to forget it. That's the same way we should be with our parenting. We can't assume the gospel. So in light of that, I think the question we have to ask now then is, what is the gospel? If we are to help them understand the gospel, then we have to understand what the gospel is. And if you're taking notes, here's what I would love for you to do. On your piece of paper, I want you to draw three circles, okay? Three circles that essentially form another circle. So with each circle, I want you to draw a line that connects all the three circles. In one circle, I want you to label it God's standard. God's standard. That's the first circle. God's standard. Then in the second circle, I want you to label it humanity's sin. So God's standard, first circle. Humanity's sin, second circle. And in the third circle is Christ's salvation. Christ's salvation. So the three circles should be labeled God's standards, humanity's sin, Christ's salvation, and then a line that connects all of them, okay? Those three things I just told you are the three necessary ingredients in a biblical gospel presentation. First, you need God's standards, his holiness, his righteousness, his law. Then you need humanity's sin. Since we fail to meet God's standards, we are broken, sinful, and depraved. Then God sent Jesus, which then leads to Christ's salvation. Those are the three elements of a gospel presentation. That's why I like the three-circle model, because you could literally, on a napkin, share the gospel with someone. 
Three circles. Here were God's standards, Genesis 1 and 2. Here's how we ruined it, Genesis 3, humanity, sin. And then here's how Christ restores it, John 3, 16. Christ's salvation. Standards, sin, salvation. Those are the three elements of the gospel that we have to make sure to emphasize with our kids again and again. I'm not saying you got to do a gospel presentation every day, but those are the three elements that you have to be reminding them of, and all three are needed. Here's what's really cool, too. When you give your children God's standards, right, which is his law, his holiness, his righteousness, then that exposes their sin, humanity's sin, their brokenness, their sinfulness, their waywardness, right? then all of a sudden they start seeing, like, well, if I can't fix myself, I got to look somewhere else. They go looking for the third circle, which is Christ's salvation. But here's what's crazy about the circle, these three circles. Once they understand Christ's salvation, they go back to obeying God's standards. So it's not like you abandon the law, but you actually now start obeying the law motivated by grace instead of guilt, motivated by redemption instead of religion. See, a lot of Christians think, oh, well, God's law doesn't impact us at all. Well, no, no, it, God's law is still good. For one, because it exposes our sin. But then once we understand our salvation, we can actually now, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that's what the fruit of the Spirit are. It's someone who, if someone displays the fruit of the Spirit, it's someone who's obeying the law of God. God's grace then enables you to live out his standards. This is what uh, Puritan Samuel Bolton says. He says, the law sends us to the gospel that we may be justified. And the gospel sends us to the law again to inquire what is our duty being justified. The circle keeps going. Does that make sense? Now I'm obeying the same law that convicted me before, but I'm being motivated. It's, it's from justification, not for justification. It is from God's love, not for God's love. Those are the three aspects of the gospel that we have to make sure we are reminding our children of if we are going to help them understand the full gospel of Jesus Christ. So the first one is God's standard. Let's look at that one, the first circle, God's standard. Jesus says, here's where we get that, verse 20. Jesus says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Those are standards. Jesus says, obey, teach your, your children, whoever you're discipling, in this case your children, Teach them to observe and to obey all that I have commanded you. That is God's standards, God's word, God's law, right? As we do that, as we give them the heights of God's standards, what quite literally starts to happen is they start to see their sin. That's why it leads them to the second circle. But you need to help your kids understand that they are sinners not just in their behavior, externally, but in their belief internally. The, 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 the clearer you make God's righteousness, holiness, and law, the more your children will see that they are sinners, not just because of the conduct of their hands, but they are sinners because of the condition of their heart. The, one of the books I read said this, it, it, to, to really show them how sinful they are, you have to help them not just see the fin, but the shark underneath the water. External behavior is bad. It's like the fin. Oh, there's something bad coming. But what's under the water is way worse. The external conduct of your kids might be bad, but I can promise you that the internal condition is infinitely worse. 
and you have to use God's standards to reveal their sin, and you have to help them see that their sin is not just external, their hands, it is internal, their hearts. It is a pivotal component in a biblical gospel presentation. Robert Murray McShane says this. He says, the greatest lack in religion of children is generally a sufficient sense of sin. So to put it in American, you know, normal modern day language, what he's saying is one of the greatest lacks in the discipling of children is that we don't do a clear enough job of showing them their sin. We either don't show it at all or we settle for external conduct instead of both conduct and condition. It's not just your hands, son. It's your heart. Here's why this is important. Because if we leave their sin at the external level, if we leave their sin at the surface level, that it's all about their hands, then what we can do is we end up calling them to hand modification instead of heart transformation. And here's the thing. Here's what the Bible teaches. Hand, external hand modification without internal heart transformation is not commendable in Scripture. It is condemnable. I don't know about you, but I know that for me, if you're, if, if, you, if, I, if I went on a lie detector test, sometimes I think that parenting is raising kids that will one day not embarrass me. Work, have a good job, go to church, give a few dollars, and don't embarrass me. And if you have grandkids, awesome. I would, to be honest, if just to be fully honest with you as your pastor, I would be perfectly content with having the elder brother in the prodigal son story. Someone who looks right on the outside, even if they're not right on the, on the inside. But what the Bible teaches is that if all we do is raise elder brothers, and oh, and I didn't say it's in the last service either. Again, I don't know why the Holy Spirit's giving me all this stuff to say, but, or maybe it's not the Holy Spirit. I don't know. I'm going to say it anyways. Um, sometimes the people most tempted to raise elder brothers were the people who used to be prodigals. Because you tried one route and it didn't work, so we're going the religious route. I'm going to make sure you never do anything wrong like I did. The problem, though, is, is if all we teach is external modification without internal transformation, the Bible says not only is that not commendable, it is condemnable. That's not a Christian. That's a Pharisee. So the more we emphasize the heights of God's standards, the more then we will reveal and expose the depths of their sin. Okay? Now, here's the other thing. This is very important. It's not your standards that they need to hear. Let's not confuse our standards with God's standards. So if we're not exposing our children to the word of God, if we're not teaching it to them, if we're not reading it to them, they're not going to know God's standards. So when I talk about standards, I'm not talking about your standards. Take your shoes off when you get in the house. I'm talking about God's actual standards. The more we expose them to God's standards, the heights of his standards, the more they will see the depths of their sin. And when they do that, all of a sudden, they will then see the beauty of Christ's salvation. But if you don't give them the standards, they won't see their sin, and salvation will not be needed.
And here's what I mean when I talk about reminding our kids of the gospel. Again, I don't mean that we do a gospel presentation every day. I, I really don't mean that. But what I mean is we take the gospel and we remind them of it by applying it to whatever they're struggling with. One of the things that we talked about several months ago, we did a series on idolatry. And we said that every person, every human being on planet Earth is either being motivated by significance, security, or satisfaction. And you can go back and listen. I don't have time to explain all that. But each person, whichever group you fall into, there's a different aspect of the gospel that you need to be reminded of. If I, I'm a significance person. Like, I am constantly struggling with finding my approval and my acceptance in other people. The part of the gospel that I need to be reminded of is different than the part of the gospel my wife needs to be reminded of because she's a security person. She can care less what people think, but she struggles with control and having a plan. And she gets anxious when things don't go her way. You see, our children, because they are sinners like us, they're one of those three S's. And one of our jobs is to figure out which S that is and tell your child, listen, your approval and your acceptance, acceptance do not come from your friends or your coach or your boyfriend or your girlfriend. They come from Jesus. Or if your son or daughter is a security person, they want to control everything. Hey, did you know that God is sovereign? And that from before the foundations of the earth, he had already planned your salvation? And if he did that, maybe he has a plan for what you're going to do for college. You see, the, the part of the gospel that you emphasize, or maybe some of us have satisfaction kids, right? They struggle with laziness and, and they just want the easiest route. They want peace. They want comfort. They want the abundant life. Well, for them, they need to see that the abundant life is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I came to bring life so that you may have it abundantly. So, so the aspect of the gospel that you preach to them varies from child to child. We remind them of whatever they are prone to forget. Does that make sense? We remind them of their identity. We remind them to cast their fears on the Lord. That's what we see. But here's the thing. If we are going to make disciples, understanding the message is only half the job then. We also have to help them undertake the mission. If you're anything like me, I fall into the trap of thinking that my only job as a parent is to help them understand the message. As long as they get saved, done. That, I know that's what I am like because just a few weeks ago, uh, at the beginning of September, uh, Lily and I had the opportunity to lead our oldest, uh, Leah, uh, to, to receive Jesus. We prayed with her in her bed and she was ready. And, and, I, and I, made, I, I took her through like the theological, the whole thing. I wanted to make sure she understood the content of the gospel, the cost of discipleship. I, I, I hit her with it, right? And she was like, I'm ready. So we prayed and we, we prayed with her and we got emotional and we left. I got to be totally honest with you guys. As I left her room and closed the door behind me, there was a part of me that thought, mission accomplished. Well done, good and faithful servant. One down, one more to go. And I literally, in my heart, felt myself taking, like, the foot off the accelerator because I'm done with the first one, next one up. See, but if, if I do that, then I'm only helping my daughter understand the message, and I'm not helping her undertake the mission. According to the Bible, you shouldn't take your foot off the accelerator. You should press down on it even more once they become Christians because now you got to teach them what being a believer is, how to read their Bible, how to pray. How to evangelize, how to counsel, how to preach the gospel to themselves. Your kids aren't just going to figure that out. 
If you decide that you want to have a disciple-making child one day, or, 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 or that you want your child to be a disciple-making disciple, you got to picture in your mind's eye someone who will one day be able to sit across from someone else and teach them how to read the Bible, teach them how to study the Bible, teach them how to pray, teach them how to confess, teach them how to evangelize. Your child's not going to learn that by themselves. If you don't learn how to do it and then in turn teach them how to do it, they're never going to be a disciple-making disciple. Because a disciple-making disciple multiplies themselves. Like we quite literally have to change Whatever that dream picture is of your child, if it isn't the one I just described, get rid of it. If, if, well, you don't have to get rid of it if you don't want. But if you want it to be lined up with the Bible, get rid of it. I'm not saying that your kids aren't going to do whatever vocation or whatever thing God's calling. They will be used in different ways from you and praise God. But at, that, at the core of their being, they know who they are and they know what they are called to do. We have to not only help them understand the message, we have to help them undertake the mission. Parents, grandparents, hear me for a second. Our job is not just to give our children peace in the next life. Our job is to give them purpose in this life. It's not just peace in the next life and we're done. It's purpose in this life. We have to help our sons and our daughters to understand that their purpose in life is not to make money, is not to get degrees, it's not to retire well. It's to make disciples of Jesus Christ. That's our job. And I, if you're, again, this is me. I'm talking about me here. So if you want to join me in the conviction, then come on with it. But, but, but many times I find myself wanting God's power, but not God's plan. I want God's power, but not God's purpose. And so what many of us do without even realizing is that in our hearts, we create our own great commissions. So instead of go and make disciples, ours is go and make scholars, or go and make college graduates, go and make athletes, go and make law-abiding citizens, go and make successful businessmen and women. And we don't even realize it, that it's maybe because that's the gospel we heard growing up. We just took the great commission that was given to us and we just repeated the process. The problem with that type of parenting is that it comes with no gospel included. <laughs> you know when you buy a, a toy and it says no batteries included? If your purpose for parenting is anything other than discipleship, there's no gospel included. There's just none. We have our own either handed down or world-influenced great commissions that do not line up with God's. I came across a survey and here's what it says. This is a survey that was done of Christian parents. Not non-Christian, Christian parents. A few years ago, a survey asked parents how they would know if they had been successful in their parenting. Listen to this. These are Christian parents. The most popular answers were raising children who are happy, have good values, and have success in his or her vocation. For many, the answer was good educated, well-adjusted well adjusted kids. You know what the problem with that is? That's the same thing a non-believer would say. Which non-believer would you ever meet that would say, oh, no, I don't want my kids to be good, educated, or well-adjusted? I want them to be bad, dumb, and non-adjusted. 
The problem with this, and this is Christian parents now, that if the way we're raising our kids is no different than our secular neighbors, what are we doing? Which is then why people like me, then later on, we have to then make disciples of 25-year-olds and 35-year-olds because they weren't made disciples when they were younger. And again, I, I'm not trying to condemn you. The, 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 I, I'm right here with you. This journey of discipling my daughter started a year ago for me. And like you, you know what I did for a long time? Instead of actually figuring out what it looks like to disciple my kids, I just relabeled whatever I was doing discipleship to make myself feel better. Oh, discipleship? Oh, yeah, I'm already doing that. What's discipleship? Whatever I'm already doing. <laughs> Go figure. How easy is that? Instead of retool, we relabel. And so what we do is we fall into this trap of drop-off discipleship, drop-off parenting. Think about it. In the world that we live in, we almost outsource everything for our kids, right? So, so if your kid wants to be good at a sport, you send them to coaches. You send them to trainers. If your kid wants to excel at a, an instrument, you send them to a music teacher. If they have some issues they have to process, you send them to a professional counselor. If they need help at school, you send them to a tutor. Heck, you send them to school every day so they can be taught by a teacher. And I think one of the things we, one of the chaps we fall into is since we have outsourced everything else, we do the same thing with their spirituality. Hey, I'm not doing any of the rest of it. I might as well give that away too. Let me find a pastor who will do the work for me. But here's the problem. Whether they are in kids ministry, youth ministry, uh, young adults ministry, or in adult ministry, here's the problem with that approach. Specifically for the younger kids though. A pastor or coordinator cannot undo in one hour of the week what you have done the other six days and 23 hours. You are the primary influence. So if discipleship isn't happening from you, it ain't happening. They can't undo what you've done, for good or for bad. And here's the reality is, the reality is if, if you decide not to disciple your children, that's between you and God. Someone else will. If you decide not to answer their questions and help them to interpret, remember, they observe well, but interpret terribly. If you decide not to do it, you don't have to. Someone else will. The world will, their friends will, social media will, YouTube will, the songs they listen to will. Someone else will do it for you and they will do it gladly. And so the question we have to wrestle with is this. As I think about this biblical purpose, which is to make disciples, do my practices as a parent right now, today, align with that purpose? That's the homework I want parents and grandparents to do here this week. I want you to wrestle with, as I evaluate my parenting through the lens of discipleship, through, the, through that, the lens of that purpose, do my current practices and processes actually line up with what I claim to be the purpose? You might even want that to be your purpose. But if your practices don't line up, remember, your kids, what you think is being done might be different from what they see being done. Do they actually line up yes or no? I had this conversation with my wife just uh, just two days ago. So my daughters have been going to ECS and we've loved ECS. It's been a great community for them. And we have my oldest in soccer. 
And I've noticed that I went back and I thought about when I did soccer. I did soccer pretty much from third grade on. I never liked soccer. Never. Never liked it. Was never good at it. But my mom made me do it because it was good for me, she said. Don't know why, but she made me do it. Right? And I'm seeing the same thing in my daughter's life now, my oldest. And every time practice is canceled or a game is canceled, all of us yell out like at the same time. We're like, yes, no practice tonight. And I'm thinking, hold on. Then why are we doing it? I did the math and I realized that I only spend roughly around three hours with my daughters every day. I get home around 5, they go to bed around 7.38. And I'm giving up an hour, two hours a day for practice during the week and another hour during the weekend for what? Again, I'm not saying sports are bad. Don't, I, I, hear me say, I'm not saying this is bad. If, if God calls you to have them participate in sports, awesome. But I, I had to ask myself, why do we feel the need to put them in a sport? Like who said my daughter has to do a sport? And spend another hour with the kid she already just went to school with for eight hours. She's not good at it. Like, she's really not good at it. I love her, but she's not good at it. So it's like she's going to be a professional one day. So it's, so it's like, what, what am I doing? She doesn't like it. She's not good at it, but you have to because that's what the world says. American Christianity says, or not Christianity, the American parenting system says you have to be in a sport. And spend less time with the people who are supposed to be discipling. Again, I'm not saying you can't not do a sport because people will take it and go far. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we need to evaluate all of our habits, all of our rhythms, all of our routines, and ask ourselves, in light of this purpose, why do I do this? And if you can't answer it biblically, then stop doing it. Like who has a gun to our head saying they got to do this thing, this thing, and that thing? Nobody. And if you look at the statistics of how many not, uh, young adults walk away from the faith, maybe we shouldn't be basing our parenting on other people's parenting. So that's something I had to wrestle with in my own heart. And I realized that part of the reason why I do all the things that I do in my parenting is because I'm busy trying to get approval from the parents around me instead of from the parent above me. And instead of treating my kids like an arrow from a quiver, the Bible says that our kids are like arrows that we are to shoot essentially at the kingdom of darkness. Instead of treating my, my daughters like arrows that I shoot, I treat them like trophies that I want to display one day. I can pat myself on the back and say, look what I did. Our kids aren't trophies, they are arrows. And I would, and I would argue that true biblical formation takes more time than we think. Like, I, again, there's only been the last year of my life. As I've stepped into this world and I've been reading several books on this subject of discipleship in the home and what it looks, because one of the things that the Lord convicted me of is I started discipling these six men and my wife is discipling their six wives. Their six, their, their, their wives. And, and essentially, I realized, I'm like, I don't want to stand before Jesus one day and have discipled 25 men and he's going to ask me about my, my daughters and be like, oh, I didn't have time for them. I was too busy discipling everybody else. That's when I started the journey of reading of what does it look like for me to actually be a disciple in my house. And what I've realized is that true spiritual formation takes way more time than I thought. To actually make time to disciple your kids takes way more time than I thought. But then I looked at my life and my wife's life and our family life, and we were too exhausted and rushed 
and distracted, and they were too exhausted, rushed, and exhausted to, to, to do anything. And then I realized, I think part of the reason why I'm so busy being busy is because I don't want to look in the mirror and ask myself, am I doing it right? So I'd rather just be super busy till they leave and be like, well, we tried our best. I don't know what we tried our best at, but we tried our best. To do true spiritual formation, it requires time. And many of us are too rushed, too distracted, too exhausted. And even if your kids are older, I don't care if your kids are late teens, 20s, 30s, you can start right now and say, I am going to, as a father, as a mother, I'm going to disciple my kids. I will get coffee with them once a week and teach them how to read their Bible, how to pray, how to evangelize. I will do that. That can happen at any point. And if you're a grandparent, it's like God gives us a second chance to, to, to like fix what we messed up the first time. We can still disciple our adult kids, and now we get to influence our grandkids. We have to rearrange and reorder our practices and our processes in light of our purpose. I'm going to read a quote here, and then I'm going to land the plane. This quote comes from Timothy Paul Jones, and he takes the verse that Jesus says, where Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And then he reworks that verse, and here's the questions that he asks. He says, what does it profit your child to gain an academic scholarship and yet never experience consistent prayer and devotional times with his parents? What will it profit my child to succeed in a sport and yet never know the rhythms of a home centered on Christ? What will it profit the, the children all around us in our churches if they are accepted into the finest colleges and yet never leverage their lives for the sake of proclaiming the gospel to the nations? And then this is the thing he says, he says to his kids all the time. Listen to this. This is my prayer for us. I would rather have you on the other side of the world seeking God's glory than in a house next door to me seeking your glory. And I would rather have you in a grave in God's will than in a mansion resisting God's will. I believe that until you and I can start praying this way, we don't fully understand the purpose that God has given us. Even though parenting is the hardest thing many of us will ever do. It is not the hardest thing that's ever been done. Even though it is extremely hard for us to give up our children to God, it was infinitely harder for God to give up his child for us. And the reason why we know that God will be faithful in the hardest thing that we have to do, which is the work of parenting, is because he was faithful with the hardest thing that's ever been done, which is the work of salvation. Parents, let me end with this so it's not guilt but grace. At the end of the day, we need to realize that we are more like our children than we are like God. And at that gospel that we want, that, 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 that message that we want them to understand, we need to understand it first. And that mission that we want them to undertake, we need to undertake it first. And I would argue that the more we lean into our identities as God's children, the more then that will overflow into our activities as the parents of our children.